0: to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen.
1: What's up, everybody?
0: This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our third episode in our NBA Wheel of Fandom series, and today we're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. So our guest today for this episode is a first-time guest here on the Hoop Talk Podcast, Please welcome Peter Burnett.
2: Thank you, Ryan, Ryan and Jalen, for having me today. It's, it's awesome to be on the podcast. I've been following, following this for a while. And so I'm happy to be here to talk about the cast. It's been a rough couple of seasons, but I've got the 2016 champions shirt on just as a reminder of, <laughs> of the good times that aren't, aren't so far in the past.
0: So, Peter, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, I'm a uh, senior student at the University of Dayton. I'm studying uh, communication with a focus in journalism. I am um, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, so that's where the interest comes from. I'm also currently the sports editor for Flyer News. I'm working on a couple of, of things this summer for that, just articles that are coming along in the future. Um, and, yeah, I'm also working with, on a fellowship, so I've had a lot of meetings. I'm glad we were able to carve out some time for this today. Um, but, yeah, I think that's about it for me. But, you know, I've been a huge fan. I guess I'll just introduce quickly about my my love for the Cavs you know grew up watching them obviously it helped a lot growing up having LeBron and on the team for a while my first my first real memories are when he dropped when he had that amazing performance against the Pistons back in what was it 06 07 Mm -hmm. um when he scored like the last 25 or something points I remember that game and even though we got swept in the finals it was pretty cool to watch watch that team play in the finals um and then, you know, there were some lean years there after LeBron left. But then when he came back and when he won the championship, you know, I, it was an amazing moment. You know, my dad is a lifelong Cleveland fan. So there were some, some emotions there. And we got to go to the parade, which was amazing. That was an awesome experience, one that I'll never forget.
0: Nice. And never forget that game in 2007, Eastern Conference Finals, game five against the Pistons, 48 points, 25 of them. I believe it was in the final. Uh, fourth quarter in the two overtime periods so I think that was a game that really solidified how great he could become and definitely with that Cleveland Cavaliers team too because a lot of playoff appearances after that for that Cavs team as well so on that note Jalen I know you have some questions for us so let's get this episode started
1: yeah man so what we've been trying to do throughout this series is just really get a a a taste of how fans feel about their, uh, about their teams uh, going through each team individually. The wheel of fandom has been one of those really interesting series on the channel that I think is going to be one that we're going to want to keep around for all seasons moving forward. And landing on Cleveland is so interesting because it's our first team that has a little bit of uh, movement that they can actually make. Uh, We had Boston and we've had the Clippers so far, and they're two teams that are going to have to be relatively stagnant outside of maybe making some drastic trades. This is a team that has a lot of decisions to make and low-key a lot of money to work with. So looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers, obviously we can take a look at their season. Ended uh, 13th in the Eastern Conference, 22-50 and overall in terms of record. They were the 30th uh, team. Dead last in points per game with uh, 103.8 points per game, 17th in opposing points per game defense. That was one of those things that I think is really important when you look at this team in terms of what they might be building forward. 28th in offensive rating, 25th in defensive rating. This is a team that has a lot of interesting players on the team. Obviously, the top two names that come to mind in terms of this offseason in particular are Colin Sexton and Kevin Love. I think Larry Nance Jr. is another one that could be in question, but we'll talk about that one a little bit later. So, uh, Peter, just to start with you, man, based on everything that's been read out, based on what you saw this season, give your team a letter grade based off. it can be just based off how you felt about the team's construction. It can be based on whatever your expectations of them were. How do you feel about the past season uh, watching the Cleveland Cavaliers?
2: Yeah, I think factoring all that you talked about, you know, the expectations, what actually happened this season, I think some people might have even expected the Cavs to do even worse this season. So I think, you know, 22 and 50 is not a good record by any stretch. Again, as I talked about, we have the, the championship very, very recently, five years ago. So that's quite a change from from the, you know, the consistent 50 or 60 wins a season that we had just a few years ago. But Um, you know, factoring the expectations and also considering where there's room for improvement, I give us a C plus, I think it was, you know, there's definitely two letter grades worth of improvement to, to reach, but they still, you know, there were some good signs. Like you talked about the defense, that was something watching the team play that I definitely noticed when the came in, you know, he was a major, major addition. I think he was all rookie second team also. Um, so he was, he was a great addition to the team this year, um, you know, the start of the season, I remember when, it, when we were watching it happen, me and my dad talked about, you know, we had a pretty easy schedule to start the season, but the, they started five and four, jumped out to a little bit of a start, and I thought maybe they could, you know, with two extra playoff spots this year, I thought maybe they could compete for one of those spots. Obviously, that didn't end up happening, but, um, yeah, until until the end of the season, because I think they lost, like, 13 of the last 14 games, something really bad like that, so that was that's a little discouraging, looking, looking- At things moving forward but again for the season as a whole i'd give a c plus
1: ryan i kind of want to get your take on things before i go in terms of this season because i think from an outsider perspective it's easy to just be like put them in the df range just off of record but i think that if you do it that way you're you're really not looking at the entirety of this team in terms of their their makeup what they did this season in terms of coming off a year where they kind of like randomly acquired andre drummond only the End up really dumping him off. He ended up becoming somebody that was like a salary dump for them. Um, the fact that their roster missed Kevin Love for a majority of this season. There was time where Colin Sexton missed games. I think that that hurt him, especially when he went on that really interesting streak. I, I remember the Brooklyn game uh, very vividly in terms of that that uh, combat versus the big three. And then of course, like the bigger thing to me, one of the underrated ones I brought his name up earlier, Larry Nance Jr., who missed big time, and I feel like when you talk about their defense, I mean, Okoro definitely added, but I think Larry Nance Jr. in the early starts of the season was huge for them, and I, I think it's interesting that there's actually a question about Larry Nance in terms of his like his future on this team. I think that may have more to do with just the fact that he's 28, but I think that this team, if you look at their makeup, although the results did not end as great as maybe you would anticipate, especially like Peter said in the recent memories, this was a team that was hitting the finals every year, I still think that they have some interesting blocks to work with where you saw some things this year that might actually put them in a pretty decent spot moving forward, especially when you talk about the fact that like Peter said beforehand, those are, those are uh, there's two extra playoff spots hanging around.
0: So I think for me, I have, I have to agree with Peter and give him a C plus. I think this is a, this is a rebuilding team that has a lot of young players that are trying to prove themselves. And I think when you look at this backcourt, of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, that's been one of the bright spots for the Cavaliers this season. Sexton's turning into one of the top shooting guards in the NBA. And I think this is a player that has the capability of taking the league by storm next season in a league. That's really being taken over by a lot of young players. You have Trey young, you have Luka Doncic, you have Jason Tatum, you have John ja Morant, you have Devin Booker, the list goes on and on. And I think the future, like we mentioned in our previous episodes, is in pretty good hands. And then the same thing with Darius Garland. I think as a point guard, he's really improving for the Cavaliers. And I think he's capable of being able to run an offense and hold down the point guard position in the future for the Cavaliers. And also he's been improving with the uh, Team USA Select team as well. So maybe that can transition over to what he already does in the NBA. And then Jared Allen, I think it'll be an interesting situation with him considering he's a free agent, but he's a solid room protector for this team And I think with the buyout of Andre Drummond's contract, you can kind of see Allen really shine and become that defensive anchor for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he still has more potential to grow considering he's 23 years old, but I think that he's a valuable asset to the Cavaliers. And this team's also one of the youngest teams in the league. And they were, like Jalen said earlier in the beginning of the episode, they're bottom five in offensive and defensive rating. They're also bottom five in defense and bottom five in scoring. I think there's a lot of things to improve, but you, ha- you kind of expect these struggles from a rebuilding team.
1: Yeah, I think one of the bigger things that you touched on when you look at this team is just a center play, talking about the fact that Andre Drummond was dumped off after 25 games playing this season. Jared Allen didn't even reach 60 games with this team after the trade. Uh, JaVale McGee just barely cracked 30 games in terms of playing on this roster as well so when you look at it one of the biggest things is that their center and power forward play was like pretty minimal just in terms of time played on the floor Kevin Love didn't even crack 30 games and I mean although you could say that that was relatively expected when you talk about Kevin Love's production for this team in particular um, I think that that's just something really interesting to take a look at because when you talk about being a bottom five defense the 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 first thing you can point to is maybe the the undersized backcourt seems like the easy thing to bail to, but the reality is when you barely have any kind of consistent front court play, I mean rim protection is like the talk of the town outside of having you know three and D wings nowadays. So that lack of consistency in the front court is one of those things that I think definitely hurt them too. So I'm in the CC C plus range as well with you guys because I feel like what are you supposed to do when you have like a round robin of centers? on your team along with the fact that you're still trying to identify how your backcourt plays together if you remember Darius Garland barely played most of last season due to injury so this was his first real season as a as a Cleveland Cavalier and I think that that's one of those things that is making their decision with Colin Sexton so interesting because when you only see one year as a part of this backcourt it's kind of difficult to make a judgment call on it but when your foot's against uh when your back's against the wall considering that you might have to give him a rookie-scale extension that's going to be a pretty hefty count. You have two things that contradict each other, having to, you know, force your hand in one way or another in terms of making decisions. So, Peter, one of the big things that we like to do in terms of this series is focus on the off-season transactions. But um, before we get into a lot of the money and stuff like that, I want to get your philosophy on what you think the Cleveland Cavaliers need to do this off-season. If there's one number one thing that you're, like, Cleveland you cannot leave this offseason without doing x what is it some of the typical options that I've kind of looked at is just please retain Jared Allen (laughs) maybe some of them are as simple as make sure Colin Sexton is traded for you know actual talent that can produce day one maybe it's the idea of turning the third overall pick into multiple picks in this draft considering how deep it is what is like one thing that you're like this needs to be at the top of the agenda for the Cavs.
2: I think, you know, the one that you mentioned, retaining Jared Allen, I think that's an important one. I think he was an important piece when he came in. Um, so I think signing him, that's probably, I, I would consider putting that at number one of priorities for the team. Um, another one, personally, I don't really want to trade Sexton, you know, Um I would love if possible to keep him on the team, keep him and Garland growing together. And, you know, even a and, and Allen, I mean, they're all young. And so there's that risk of, you know, maybe going through a few more lean seasons, but you see what, what happened with the bucks. I mean, they, they played the long game eight, like what, eight years. And, you know, you saw they have a, they're going to have a ring for it now. Um, But, but the other, the other side of that then is, I mean, there are some that are even worse than this that, totally don't pan out but one that kind of half panned out is uh Lillard and McCollum in Portland you know those are two guards who have been there for for a long time now but they haven't they don't have anything really to show for it so um you know there is that that risk and kind of that you know I'm sure hesitancy because you don't want to spend especially with the championship five years away and a finals appearance what three years away now you don't want to spend too long in that in that seller position. But um I think I think retaining Alan, uh, you know, I would love to keep Sexton. If if we if we did trade him, I'd want to trade for somebody who can kind of fit into a similar role. Maybe somebody who has a little bit more experience. Um you know, maybe somebody like a uh I don't know the one thing is some of these, you know, I don't know about Lowry, you know, he's a good guard, but I don't know how he how he would fit. Um, we could probably get in that more when we talk about, you know, free agent targets and stuff like that. But mm. um and then I think in the draft, all the mocks are saying Evan Mobley, and I'm I'm more than okay with that. So I'm thinking maybe Mobley at three. Although I would like to see more draft picks, but you know, maybe we can get in that more when we talk about specific trades.
1: Okay. So, Ryan, kind of building off of that, is there anything in particular that you feel like the Cavs need to address? I know that mine is going to have to deal with the draft. Um so if there's a certain route in free agency or just in terms of team control, uh if you were in Kobe Altman's position, what is like the number one thing going into this offseason that you would want to address for the Cavs in terms of being able to improve going into the next season?
0: I feel like you need to improve on veteran presence. I know that they have a lot of veteran players they didn't contribute as much as we would have hoped. And I want to point out a couple of examples. I want to look at the Atlanta Hawks, your favorite team, Jalen, and the New York Knicks, two teams that were toward the bottom of the standings last year. One thing that was beneficial to their successful seasons was the fact that they had veteran players there to complement the youth on their team. For Atlanta, they went out and they got Danilo Gallinari, they got Bogdan Bogdanovich, and they also added Blue Williams at the deadline to compliment their younger players on the team, Trey Young, Kevin Herter. For New York, I mean, they added New Orleans Noel. They also added Derrick Rose to join Julius Randle, Taj Gibson, Reggie Bullock, and their young star, R.J. Barrett. Even for the Phoenix Suns, who just came off of a Viles appearance, they had varying players that they needed to add that were difference makers, like Jay Crowder and Chris Paul, to pair with Devin Booker. And I feel like for Cleveland, Some of those veteran players that they had were injured for most of the season. Kevin Love, Matthew Delvedovo, Larry Nance Jr. all missed a lot of games. And then Andre Drummond, I believe, was the, the true difference maker for this team. But I think when you saw that Jared Allen was there and he was ready to take over the center position, then the Cavs realized they would probably go younger and then use Andre Drummond as possibly a trade asset. But they ended up buying his contract out. So I feel like that was, that was another interesting thing is that they relied because of the lack of veteran presence, because most of the players weren't healthy. They relied on their younger players to, they rely on their younger players a lot, and they only won 22 games. So I think veteran presence makes a huge difference, especially with the, with the three teams that I mentioned. And I also think Cleveland needs veterans who are reliable, but also difference makers. And Peter, I kind of want to bring you in on this conversation and get your opinion as well.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, yeah, I think Kevin Love could be that difference maker, but it just seems like he's, I don't know. I know he's had his injury struggles, but it just seems like he's not invested in this team, and I think it's been like that for a couple of years now. So, um, I think that's probably a priority too. And I know it's tough because his trade value seems to just keep sinking lower and lower. But I think it's it's probably time to to for the love to end. You know, it's probably time yeah. to to, to send it, send him off. Maybe, I mean, honestly, the, the value you might be able to get for him is maybe a, uh, I don't know, maybe like a late, late first round pick. That might be, that might be about it. Maybe, maybe you could stretch it to a mid first round. Um, That's probably what I would like. Um, But I mean, there are, you know, a multitude of, you know, maybe not similar, but you could get a, a you know, you could probably get, veterans but they wouldn't they probably wouldn't be difference makers if you traded Kevin Love that's that's the one thing you could get some some veteran players you could come in and lend their expertise and their experience but I don't think they would be quite the same difference maker that Kevin Love can be you know he hasn't shown that for a couple years but again like you said Ryan I agree about you know trying to bring in guys who are difference makers not just guys who are there to you know you know have the the leadership the experience
1: yeah, I mean, I think to piggyback off that, I think you both make really excellent points. Like touring Prince barely played in the games. One of the older players on their team that actually like contributed on a regular basis, 27 years old. Jetty Osman was like the main consistent at 26 years old. And Peter, you, you, I I can take your word for it, but I'm sure that's not the guy you're leaning on to be like the locker room presence in your um in you guys's locker room in terms of being a guy to lean on as that veteran um, productivity-wise. And then when you get down the list, it gets kind of dicey. I mean, you guys had J.R. Smith as a dead cap hold for most of the year, basically didn't really play for you guys. Matthew Della Vadova was injured, but he was a guy who was kind of playing for a contract anyway. 31 years old, contract ends this, uh, this offseason, so he's going into free agency looking for a home long-term. And then, of course, I mean, Cleveland made it kind of difficult all year in terms of being able to keep your head in the game with leaving Colin Sexton out, you know, as a potential trade bait pretty much throughout the entire year. I mean, it was discussed mainly at the trade deadline, but now that the offseason is hit and his money is something that's coming into question. The headlines across most of Cleveland Cavs nation is the idea that they don't want to sign him to a max extension, something that I don't really think they're going to be able to get around if they want to retain him. So I do think that having a veteran presence is pretty important. I think that um, it's one of those things that will tell us a lot about what this team wants moving forward if they go that route, because of course the opposite route is to do what OKC is doing and just be as young as a Kentucky team pretty much and just see how everybody pans out. And that kind of goes into the route of what I think the the primary offseason thing for them needs to be, which is just to make that third pick count. Like seriously, this is a team that, um, has been given a lot of uh, uh, a lot of potential and been put in a lot of uh, positions, as you know, Peter, about being able to strike at the first overall pick. This is a draft that doesn't come around a lot of times where you can argue that the top five are going to be difference makers off rip. You could argue top six if you're a big fan of like Scotty Barnes or something like that. So I think no matter where you go with number three, it needs to be a full-blown commitment that you don't feel as though there was a hesitation about. I understand that everybody looks at a team like Cleveland and says, if it's not Cade, they're probably swinging and missing. But I don't think that's exactly how they have to view this team moving forward if they're able to strike on an Evan Mobley the way they are. I've seen some mock Jalen Green, obviously. I think this has a lot more to do with maybe, maybe Colin Sexton being on the way out and needing somebody who's a little bit more dynamic as an athlete at the two-guard position, that's a potential uh, thing that they might be looking at. I think there's a lot of different routes that they could go versatility-wise, but I think no matter what, the third overall pick in an off-season where you might also be moving your point guard needs to be something that hits because if you're moving away from your last quote-unquote long-term option, the guy who's probably been the most solid for your team over the last three to four seasons, this next guy in a draft class like this He's got to be that dude. So um, pretty much with that, before we move on to like actual trades and stuff your thought on the draft, like you've seen Evan Mobley be mocked, but like, is that, if you're as the Cleveland fan, is, is that who you want? Are you in a position where you say, if Evan Mobley falls to us at three, I can live with that. Are you in a situation where you're like, no, actually I, I need Kate. I don't, I don't really care what the mocks tell us. We need to be able to make some kind of trade acquisition with Detroit to get to number one or, even at number three, is there somebody else that you might be looking at that you would be more interested uh in having on this team?
2: I think this might be kind of a, a, a maybe a boring answer, but I think I would probably be okay with with Mobley at three. I think, you know, it's like you said, the uh the the backcourt was kind of an issue because of all the injuries and stuff like that to to a bunch of guys this season. And if you know, for some reason they, you know, can't retain Jared Allen, then that'd be potentially a good replacement or, you know, they could potentially work together in the, in the, uh, in the front court. So I, I would say I'd be, I'd be okay with Mobley at three.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really can't argue with it. Cause I mean, the, the main thing that I've seen when it comes to Mobley is that like his versatility is one of those. That's like, if you put him next to Larry Nance, who I'm assuming they're going to keep despite everything that might point in directions otherwise, I think when you know your center position is the one in question and you can get away with playing Mobley at the 3, 4, or 5, yeah. I've seen stuff where they say he can play the 3. I'm not entirely sure about it, but I talked about it with Ryan a little bit. and We kind of we could see it a little bit in terms of what he could uh, be for a team like Cleveland that needs help at the 3 um so I think his versatility is interesting I think the other one in terms of Jalen Green is one that comes up in terms of you guys it it has more to do with what they do with Colin I think if they follow your route in terms of please keep Colin, extend him and you go that route I think Jalen Green makes the backcourt crouchy and I think that's one of those things that you kind of want to avoid uh basically we still haven't got to see a lot of my homie Dylan Windler yet either like that's another guy that in that backcourt I want to see more on the floor Um, before they start making decisions back there. But in terms of the front court and that center position specifically, I think that you can't go wrong with Evan in terms of like leaning on somebody in this draft that has like some serious boom potential. So let's talk about the actual like position that you guys are in. Obviously you guys have a certain amount of cap flexibility knowing that you guys legit have trade assets that are actually on the market in some regard. Um, The other two teams that we discussed so far Not so much. It was more so kind of things set in stone. This is a team where, again, you look at Kevin Love, you look at Larry Nance, you look at Colin Sexton. Those are the three main guys who you guys all have as potential trade chips to make this team better. But on top of that, you've obviously got Jared Allen, Matthew Della Vadova and others that are going to be on their way out, potentially, at least in terms of needing to retain them via free agency. You have that third round pick. You guys have $9.5 million in the mid-level exception. That's a great amount of money to have in your pocket in terms of being able to address the veteran presence like Ryan had mentioned beforehand. And then the big number, the big number that comes in mind is like, yes, the negative cash space that you guys look at right now is about negative 26 mil. But like when you look at the potential for this team, the potential max space that you guys can have is about $15 million. So when you look at the landscape of, like, who this team can target, um, a name that's going to come up a million times throughout this series up until he gets signed is TJ McConnell. He's a guy in terms of the backcourt that's going to be really interesting. But you guys also have the potential to go after a Rashawn Holmes if if a guy like uh like, uh like Allen decides to step away. You guys are in a position to be able to retain a guy like Matthew De Vadova, who I think is going to be huge in terms of, of shoring up the backcourt. I've heard talks of Alex Caruso. There's a handful of different names that come up. And one of the more interesting ones that does come to mind too is like Taylor Horton Tucker, who like really proved himself relatively well on a championship level Cavs team. So um, if you had your pick of the litter, considering the money you have, which is actually pretty flexible, low key, um, who are some guys that you would be big on Cleveland targeting from a realistic standpoint in terms of free agency. I know without, you know, a sign and trade guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Lowry, uh, Mike Conley, those guys are more in like a sign and trade scenario, but in terms of just guys to be able to pick up, who are some guys in free agency that you might want to take a look at?
2: I think the, the first one, you know, when talking about a locker room presence, a guy that can be a difference maker that showed that this season, um, this this one, you know, might be a little unrealistic, but, you know, somebody like CP3, you know, that one, I don't think, I don't think that one would ever happen. Th- that one might be a little bit in the, uh, what we were talking about of kind of unrealistic expectations, but he's somebody that, you know, showed that he can come into a team and really make a difference. You know, Booker is more of an established star for sure than, you know, either Sexton or Garland are, but. I mean, they have they have the potential not to be at that level, but they have the potential to take that next step, both Sexton and Garland. Um, So having a veteran guard like CP3, um, you know, come in and, you know, you know, kind of mentor them and, you know, kind of also be a little bit of a difference maker would be huge. The, The one thing that's tough when talking about bringing in a guard is you probably have to bring in somebody who's willing to be first off the bench instead of in the starting lineup. Um, just because I imagine if you keep Sexton and Garland, those are probably the two that you keep going with at, at, at the guards, at the guard positions. Mm -hmm. Um, so you probably wouldn't get, you know, one, one guy I was looking at is maybe, maybe Mike Conley bringing back to, to the Buckeye state. But for one thing, he might, he might demand a little bit more money than we're willing to dish out and probably would expect to be starting. Um, but that's another name looking at, you know, who's available this off season. I like, I like, you know, you mentioned him, Rashawn Holmes. I think that one is, I think that one maybe is a little bit more realistic also just as a, another presence at the forward position, especially if, you know, if we ship off love or, or lose Jared Allen, somebody who can, who can play in the front court. So I would say, you know, those are probably the guys that I would target. The one thing also I, I'm pretty sure Della Vadova and I mean, he's, he's just a guy off the bench anyway. So it's not a horrible loss, but I think he signed with uh, Melbourne United in, or some team, some team from Melbourne in uh, Australia. So um, yeah, I mean, again, it's tough because uh, you know, when you try to sign a player, you know, if you go too too high level, they're going to want to start and then you're going to have to take away minutes from Sexton and Garland. But you know, it's just trying to find trying to find that right fit of somebody who can who can be a mentor to them and is also okay with maybe maybe coming off the bench instead of starting.
1: So Ryan, we looked at some of like the high level guys. I thought the Mike Conley one was interesting. I always forget the Ohio State connection sometimes with him. And um I think that's something maybe when we get um later into trade packages, I think that might actually be something interesting to discuss in terms of just maybe what would take place. It has a Thinking a trade like that, it has to be more what Mike Conley wants. Like, is he in that position where he wants to be able to be a definitive All Star as opposed to being the reserve all the time? Because I feel like in the Eastern Conference, he could probably solidify himself as that caliber of a player potentially. Um, or, you know, is it something about him being able to go back to Ohio and be able to produce for them just simply from like a uh, morality standpoint? There's a lot of different ways you can discuss that, but we talked that we talked about the high end of uh, free agency obviously uh looking at the low end aiming in like that mid-level exception area that 9.5 mil that comes to mind you know all the names we've went over them a couple of times in our own you know personal group chats and stuff like that names that come to mind Derrick Rose TJ McConnell um obviously at the center possession position it gets a little dicey when you talk about the 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 kind of names that are available Um, I do think interesting names like Montres Harrell and stuff like that comes to mind here. I think from a veteran guard standpoint, again, this is another one where I know it gets tricky with with a guy like Colin, but if he is on the way out in terms of a veteran point guard, I do think a guy like Dennis Schroeder, who you know, can come in and definitely produce day one. He wouldn't be coming off the bench in the way that Peter kind of described. But again, that this is all related to like the Colin Sexton situation because he might not need to, if Colin is traded for, you know, draft capital or for further down the line assets. So like who are some guys in that like mid-level exception area in terms of that, like low end money that, you know, is like a little bit easier to acquire without having to throw a lot of things in the pot that you think could help this Cleveland Cavaliers team. Cause I can think of a couple couple off top, but I think that it ranges based on what you feel like the Cavs need.
0: So I think what Peter said about Chris Paul is interesting considering that Chris Paul is a guy that can make teams better. We've seen that throughout his career. We saw that with New Orleans. We saw that with Los Angeles. We saw that with Oklahoma city. And we recently just saw that with Phoenix who just made the finals appearance for the first time since 1993. So I think it will be interesting to see what his fit will be and what happens with Colin Sexton. Also, is Chris Paul willing to come off the bench? I think that's another thing too. In terms of other free agents, I would say Taylor Horton Tucker. He has a lot of potential and he showed sure that he can give you instant scoring and he can also be a solid playmaker. I think that he could fill the sixth, the sixth man role for the Cavaliers coming off the bench. And I think he's another young player that could be beneficial to this young core of Cavs players. I think this other player is kind of a reach for the Cavaliers, but I think John Collins could be an interesting one considering John Collins is one of the the top power forwards or is becoming one of the top power forwards in the league. He averaged 17.6 points a game, 7.4 rebounds. He shot the ball well from the field and from three last season, and he's a young player and he could help exceed the potential of this young core of Cavalier players. So I think this is a move in terms of building for the future. And John Collins is a player that is only getting better over time.
1: Yeah. I think John Collins is an interesting one. When you think about like what he could provide for this team, because he's a four or five switchable guy that I think has like really proved himself in these playoffs. Um, um, I'm going to, try to like push my Atlanta Hawks fandom to the side in terms of talking about him in terms of letting him go but I will just say that I do think his postseason performance is one that's made him a very high commodity and I don't think it's going to make it any easier for Atlanta to be to retain him I think it's going to make him higher on their priority list in terms of bringing him back but I think it's going to make him a high commodity where teams that need a center teams that need a power forward obviously like one of the names that comes to mind is Charlotte they're one that's going to be and talks all over the place for Jared Allen, for uh, a guy like like um, Montres Harrell even. And then even when you talk about John Collins, of course, a, a, another guy that's going to be in that mix. So in the center market, Rashawn Holmes too, like in the center market, there's teams out there that are going to really need that position. And John Collins has played himself into a check. So it's going to be really interesting to see just how available Atlanta allows him to be. Um... Peter, I want to get your your reaction to this name. It's not really the sexiest name in the world. I'm not going to lie. But there's two names that I have in mind, ex-Laker players that I think, or I guess one it could potentially be about to be a former Lakers player. But the two names that come to mind to me are Alex Caruso and Josh Hart. They're two guys that I think um, fit in this Lane of still working to prove themselves, but play themselves within the positions that they need to be. Guys that are going to be really switchable. Caruso's a bigger guard, which is something that I think you guys definitely need in that backcourt, especially defensively. That's one of the bigger things that I think Caruso could play next to Garland or Sexton. I think this is a position where when you use that mid level exception for a guy like that, it makes you feel pretty good about keeping your backcourt in- intact instead of trading away Sexton because he's a guy who could play interchangeably. With either one of those guys. Um, I also found out on the grapevine that apparently Josh Hart is pretty cool with Larry Larry Nance Jr. I think that's something that could be really interesting from a camaraderie standpoint in you guys' backcourt and on on your team in general because he's a guy who I mean I wouldn't put him at the one ever but I feel like he's a guy that could play between the uh, other two and the three maybe a little bit of a, a little bit of small ball four if you're like feeling frisky I guess But in terms of just their ability to step on the floor and produce day one, these are two guys that I feel like if you're trying to avoid trading Colin Sexton and simply putting assets around him, I feel like the first way you would do it would be to address the defense, right? The dude's a bucket. You don't have to worry about him in terms of getting him another guy to score next to him. But being able to apply more defensive pressure around him puts him in a position where he could be even more like of a threat on offense, not getting worn down on the other side. So, like, how do you feel about, like, two – like, I get again, I know they're, like, a little bit, like, of the low-end guys in terms of a free agency class like this because, um, you know, the Lonzo Balls of the world and stuff like that also come up within this. But how do you feel about guys like Alex Caruso and Josh Hart in terms of your team? Do you feel like that's, like, too low-ball-y? Do you feel like that's, like, just the kind of guys you need? Or you feel like that's a situation where maybe in a free agency class like that it would, you know – Feel like settling a little bit
2: well the one thing is i do have to kind of you know have realistic expectations mm-hmm. because we've seen in the past kind of the only way to get big name players to come to cleveland is when lebron is there and lebron isn't going to be coming back so um you know the names that i mentioned earlier probably aren't going to happen but those are definitely two that i would say are more realistic are they a little bit on the lower end? Sure. But, you know, as, as, as a fan, I have to understand that, that those are probably more realistic signings. I think you, you did a really good job of talking about how both of them fit in the team. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Caruso would add a little bit of height, um, as you said, the, the defense and everything. And he, he's a good player. I know a lot of times he he gets caught up in like, you know, the memes about him and stuff like that, but he really is a good, a good ball player. So, um, and then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hart also, you know, he, I think he would, you know, building that connection with, with Larry Nance would be, would be big. I don't know how much you guys are into soccer, but they're both fans of, of Chelsea. So, which which is also my team that I support. So, so nice. that would be pretty cool to, to see a couple of, of Chelsea fans playing for, for the Cavaliers. But um, yeah, I think I don't know how realistic it would be to sign both. And there are obviously a lot of other options out there, but I think either one would be, would be a welcome addition. Kind of just solidify that, that uh, backcourt around Sexton and Garland and just kind of add to what, what they already have. Some guys who have veteran presence who have won a championship, you know, they're not, neither one of them are old or anything like that too. So it's not like you're signing a guy who's would maybe only be around for a year, um, you know, and then you have to get into the contract with you sign, but how many years you sign them for, and stuff like that. But yeah, I think both of those guys are certainly at the more realistic level for guys who would be willing to sign with the Cavs. You know, guys who are maybe trying to have a bigger role than they have in the Lakers. You know, they might not start for the Cavs, but maybe they could. You know, they definitely get probably more minutes than they're getting with the Lakers, and potentially you know start a game here or there if you want to give Sexton or Garland a rest. So. Again, I don't know how realistic it would be to sign both of them specifically, but mm. signing signing, you know, either them or guys who are similar would be probably realistic and I would welcome that.
1: So uh Ryan, I'm gonna swing back to Peter on something real quick because I just feel like uh based on everything we talked about so far, um, it's interesting what the potential philosophy for Cleveland can be this offseason because Ryan you know you know how we've done this so far we have the the entire you know the whole question where it's like if you have an option for what step they should take this offseason which route should they go trade young players for veterans stand pat and let their young players develop target big free agents um slash superstar in, uh via trade or blow the team up we typically go this route at least we've done it with the last two teams but this is this is a team where i feel like the only way they can get better is by doing a multitude of these things, as opposed to giving that one singular option. So Peter, with those kind of options, like what, what do you feel like rather than like doing them in general in order, what do you think is the ranking of your feeling as a fan in terms of what you should do? Like I said, the four options are trading your young players for veterans standing pat and allowing the young players to develop target a big name free agent or superstar via trade, and then, um, blow up the team. If you had to rank those one through four in terms of like your feeling as a Cavs fan right now, like what, what is the order of operations that you think this team should go go through in terms of those kind of options?
2: Yeah, I think I might be a little bit of a prisoner of the moment for right now, but I think standing, standing pat is, is big because of again, what we've seen with the bucks, Mm -hmm. um, So I would probably put that number one. And with that, you know, solidifying, solidifying the team around those, those young guys. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think at the same time, maybe I'm, I'm trying to think of, I don't know about trading any of the young players. I think that'd probably be lower down Um, and targeting, targeting a big name in free agency is probably going to be difficult, but maybe there is some sort of trade that we could do. Um, And then Blowing up the team. I think the only the only player that would be considered in that would be Kevin Love. So I guess that would be I don't think that would be considered blowing up the team though, because he didn't have a big, you know. I mean, obviously he was mostly because of injuries, but he didn't have a massive role last year. So I wouldn't call that blowing up the team. But yeah, I think I think it is kind of a mix of all of those for the Cavs. I think, you know, some of them take priority over others. Like I think especially standing Pat is probably the the number one. Um, but I think there are little things that you can do in each of those areas that can improve this team. You know, you you uh, stay solid with the g- young guys that they have, Sexton, Garland, Okorre, or Okoro, and, uh, and hopefully re-signing Jared Down. The thing that helps with that, too, is he is a restricted free agent. So mm. that's something that definitely helps in that situation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, a name like John Collins would be – somebody that may be a big bigger name in free agency he could potentially target in some way and that one would probably be difficult to pull off because he's also a restricted free agent his value I mean he's 23 years old he had a a great season great playoffs so like you said his market value is going to be is going to be way up but yeah I think I think there are little things that the Cavs can do in each of those areas that that can really improve this team
1: So Ryan, going back to you, uh, you know, we always like to close these uh, free agent talks out by like ranking the top three free agent targets that you think that a team should go after. So um, Peter, I'll obviously come back to you. But in terms of Ryan, how do you feel? What's the pecking order of like the top three guys from a realistic standpoint, of course, in terms of guys that are on the open market for the Cleveland Cavaliers to target? Who are three guys that of course, we're talking about free agency specifically. So this more so has to do with that mid-level exception area um in terms of the money they have available. Who are three guys at on your list that you that you would like Cleveland to pursue in terms of being able to improve?
0: I feel like there's a lot of names that you can throw out on this one. I think for number three for me, it's a tie between Taylor Horton Tucker and Patty Mills. I would probably have to slate Taylor Horton Tucker in there at number three, simply because I think he fits the timeline of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Patty Mills is 32 years old, and I think he would fit much better on a championship contender team. Whereas Taylor Horton Tucker, I think he is also 23 years old, much like John Collins. He fits that timeline of the team where he can fit in with these young core players and then give you that scoring coming off the bench. Taylor Horton Tucker's number three. I would say number two. Number two, I would say TJ McConnell, and I think for the same reason. He gives you consistency on both sides of the floor, and he also has the ability to be your starting point guard and also give you scoring coming off the bench and also, like I said, give you that consistency on defense. I think he was one of the top, one of the leaders in the NBA in terms of steals. So I think he's a very sneaky defender. And I think that's that's something that I think the Cavaliers need, considering that they're they're steadily improving on defense. They have Isaac Okoro, who's a very solid defender. But I think there's room to grow in terms of the Cavaliers' defense. And then number one, I would probably say is John Collins, considering that he is one of the top power forwards in the league. And I don't think that the Cavaliers have a lot of depth at that position. And considering that he could play both the four and the five, I think it would be beneficial to... Not only Jared Allen as well, because I think that will be a very interesting pairing to see John Collins and Jared Allen on the same on the floor together, but also in terms of depth, because like I said, they don't have a lot um, to work with at that position. They are getting some production from guys like Dean Wade and Isaiah Hartenstein. So I think it will be interesting to see what the Cavaliers do going forward. But those are my top three.
1: And uh, Peter, same thing with you. Like, who are the top three guys within that? Like I said, this is typically the non-sexy area in terms of talking about the mid-level exception. Unfortunately, in a weird offseason like this, especially because COVID struck a lot of the money, the main teams that really have money right now are like the New Yorks. uh, Dallas, I believe, is another one in Miami. So this is going to be an offseason filled with very slight moves to make your team better. But who are three guys in that free agency pool that you would definitely want to be taking a look at in terms of what you feel like is realistic for your team's uh, expectations moving forward, as well as, you know, just the money that they have allocated to be able to make moves.
2: Looking at number three, I would probably go with, you know, maybe like a, a mid-level forward, not somebody like John Collins, somebody who's, you know, you know, a rung or two down on the ladder. Um, just trying to think of who's who's available there.
1: Um, I mean, guys at the forward position. I know Sergi Baka is one of those um, that comes to mind in terms of a veteran uh, presence too. Um, I can look into a couple more extra names at the forward position in terms of free agents. I know that the main ones that come to mind, obviously across the board, Kelly O'Linig, Paul Millsap. Like I said, Serge uh pj's due for some money lori Markinen, if you wanted to open up some space for a guy like that would be interesting as well um jeff green has been a name that's been thrown out there as a guy that you could potentially facilitate because i've seen his name associated with the Cavs before as well so those are like a couple of like the main stake names that'll still fall maybe into that mid-level exception spot um if any of those like fancy you a little bit
2: yeah um I, 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 Paul Millsap has had a good career. He is getting a little up there in age now, Um, but yeah. So I'd probably say, I'd probably say him for that spot. And then second would be solidifying the, the backcourt around Sexton and Garland. Some of the names we mentioned earlier, uh, Taylor Horton, Tucker, Josh Hart, uh, Alex Caruso, probably out of those three, I think I'd probably go with Josh Hart. He has a little bit more experience. He's gotten a little bit more production on the offensive end. Um, So if I had to pick one out of those three and some of the other names we mentioned, I'd go with Josh Hart. And then number one, and I I guess I'll go with this because, because Ryan did too. So we're counting it under the the mid-level exception. This, this area, I'm going to go with John Collins also, because that's, he could be a real difference maker. He has room to continue to get better and improve. He's still super young. So that would probably be my,
1: my number one. And I think that one's interesting because I think at the end of the day, with the mid-level exception, you're in a position where maybe free agency wise, it's kind of tricky with that one. But I think with the kind of movement that they can make, they could open up the money to do it. Um, obviously, the Kevin Love trade would be something that would be extremely necessary to free up this kind of space. Um, and it's not as insane as people think either. I want to make sure that that's like kind of clear. I understand that John Collins is in a position where he's going to be due some money. But As hard as moving Kevin Love is, the ability to move Kevin Love is something that could open up significant money that puts them in play for low key, just about anybody that's in that young fringe could be something area. Laurie Markin and John Collins um, and Lonzo Ball being like usually at the top of that list in terms of guys who like this next up contract is where you see where they will, you know, project out to be in terms of like the entirety of their career. First couple of years were interesting just because of the current team's makeup and um, some of the past team's uh, design, you know, around them. But this next contract that they'll be on will be a real representation of what player they are. Um, So John Collins falls into that category where if they can free up some space, they can target some of those guys that are looking for their first real money grab. Um, So it'll be interesting to see if they actually even make a play at them, especially because You know, their main priority, as you mentioned beforehand, would be just retaining Jared Allen and wondering whether or not doing so will just going after Jared Allen will have any kind of reflection on what their money will be to even go after a guy like um, John Collins. But I think I think I think it's not as crazy as it might sound to target a guy like that, considering the kind of switchability he has and everything else. And, you know, if he can get him on a decent contract next to a guy like Colin Sexton and stuff, that would be even more interesting too. Um, let's move into trades, though. I know that it's not fun to talk about moving away from like big time guys. And of course, the main guy, Ryan, was telling me this before he actually, before we actually hopped on here, that it seemed like every trade that, that you look up for this team involves Colin in some way, shape or form. So unfortunately, in this section, we're going to be focusing a lot more on his um, tradability. Uh, before we get into exactly like some of the trades that I've seen pictured and get your take on them, what is your feeling on Colin Sexton as a player? Like, I understand that your philosophy on him is already if we can keep him, please do. But what exactly... Uh, I don't want to say what's your infatuation with Colin Sexton, because at the end of the, the day, he's one of your like staple pieces right now. So that's kind of like an easy, an easy answer. But why wh- what do you think it is that Colin Sexton provides for a team, whether it's your team or another team?
2: I mean, the first thing that that stands out just by looking at the stat that I think probably most people look at is points per game. And he mm-hmm. led the team in that. He's he's a pure scorer. Um i mean not just the pure score but that's that's where he leads this team um obviously he's he's a point guard and that normally is kind of where the team starts you know leading the offense and everything um you know they facilitate the offense um he's had some clutch moments too from watching games i think he had one against brooklyn this past year when when we beat them back to back um you know he's he's an all-around solid player and i would i would really want to get his value if if we traded him i would you know we'll get into some of those trade packages, you know, in, in a minute, but you know, if, if we had to trade him away, I would want to make sure that we got somebody who can either, either in free agency or in the trade, somebody who can step in and kind of fill a similar role at, at the point guard position.
1: Yeah. And Ryan, I think that, I mean, you know, cause the reason why I asked this question obviously is because at the end of the day, losing a commodity like Colin Sexton sounds like one of those things that if you don't get, some kind of decent building block value for you're losing out on a guy who averages 24 and four, you know what I mean? You are losing out on a guy who's in his third year um, with the potential to peak in the right situation. And you do have to ask yourself the question as to whether or not Colin Sexton has had the kind of people around him um, player player wise in order to actually develop into this uh, all-star caliber player. I can speak to that very, very closely in terms of talking about Atlanta. Trey Young dropped down on hands and knees after last season and asked for help, was provided to help be a free agency through guys like Clint Capella getting a Yucca Wu in the draft, knowing that they were being able to being able to have guys like Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter come back healthy, at least for most of the season to a certain respect. Grabbed a guy like uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich in um in a trade with Sacramento, or I guess it was more of like a free agency tab with uh, taking him away from Sacramento. And boom, next thing you know, we have an Atlanta Hawks team in the Eastern Conference Finals in a situation where some still to this day, despite, you know, everything euphoria lit with Milwaukee, some still look at it and wonder whether or not if Trey Young could have helped lead The Atlanta Hawks over Milwaukee had he not gotten injured. So I think that just goes to tell you, if you give this guy the proper help around him, he could become something, but you have to actually put himself in that, you have to actually put him in that position. And some could argue that he's not that, that he hasn't gotten that opportunity yet. So what do you feel like is Colin Sexton's calling card. I think it's easy to just say scoring, but what about the way he scores? Do you think it's something that it's a commodity for Cleveland or any team that would be aiming to trade for him? What do you think it is about his ability to score that makes him a special asset?
0: I would say his ability to create his own shot. I would also say you you could look at his play in terms of isolation. You know, he's one of the top isolation scorers in the league and especially Colin Sexton, and it's only his third year, and he has so much more room to grow. This is the point that I'm going to make with Colin Sexton and almost kind of tie it to Milwaukee in a way. Peter mentioned earlier in the podcast that Milwaukee basically built their team in eight years with Giannis and Chris Middleton. I feel like Cleveland could take that chance too, considering that Colin Sexton is is their franchise player. And then you have Darius Garland, who's like the Chris Middleton essentially of this team. I think that you have two players that you can build this franchise around, and all you need to do is just add the supporting cast. You need to put the supporting cast together. If you remember, I think uh, Giannis' first series or first season in the NBA, they only won like fifteen games. I think they won fifteen and sixty-seven in his first season. So it's expected of a young team to struggle early. But as time went on, Milwaukee got better because they added people around Giannis to make the team better. I feel like that's what Cleveland has to do. And I think what what Milwaukee did by winning a title is that they made small market teams look great again. Because we haven't seen a small market team win a championship since, ironically, the Cleveland Cavaliers. So I feel like that that's the pattern that – the Cavaliers have to take. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Colin Sexton going forward as we get into these trade packages, because I've seen a lot of interesting trades where the Cavs get back a lot and then there's some that they don't get back as much. So I think his value is interesting.
1: So um, with that being the case, I think because I, I think at the end of the day, it's really interesting on how you view Colin Sexton. And like you said, I think one of the bigger things you touched on too, uh a shot creator. I mean, in in the pecking order of the NBA. Right. I think especially with everything being positionless specifically that's like the word that's been thrown out like over the last 3 to 4 years in particular in terms of like potential guys who could be the next best player in the world right is the first thing you come up with is a guy who's like a versatile 3 and D guy a guy who shoot 3 very well a guy who plays both sides of the floor right under that right under that shot creating guard like easily easily the next highest commodity in terms of what you would want on your team, which is another reason why it makes it so interesting that Cleveland is shopping him. Is it because of the fact that they feel like he's peaked in three years? Sounds a little silly to me, but not the craziest thing to assume, I guess, depending on who you are. Um, But it's one of the highest commodities in the league above maybe the last thing in the top three would be maybe like a legit rim protecting center. This is where guys like Rudy Gobert and Clint Capella come in in terms of guys you want to build around. So uh with that being the case, Peter, I'm gonna give you the option here. I'm gonna there's four teams that I've found specific trades for. Um, and I'm gonna let you pick two of the teams that you will wanna hear trade packages from. So the four teams that um I was able to find were the Lakers, the Clippers. The New York Knicks and the Orlando Magic. So what which of those four teams would you like to start with out of the two trade packages that we wanted to, that we can deep dive into?
2: I think I'm definitely interested to hear what the Knicks one would be, just because they have some good young players and you know the dating connection. They have Obi Toppin. So that's certainly, you know, one thing that piqued my interest there. Um, I would love to say the Lakers, see if LeBron can come back, but that's not happening. So <laughs> I'm going to go with the other L.A. team then here with the here with the Clippers packages.
1: Okay, so interestingly enough, the Knicks package is a little bit on the light end. Um, I think this has to do with the fact that Colin Sexton is not owed a lot of money right now. And if you were to trade him with the kind of money he's under, it would be before he re So he's a pretty cheap asset right now. It's kind of tricky on how much you can actually – get done with him unless you do a sign and trade so this is pre sign and trade potential but the trade like you mentioned before and actually includes ob Toppin and then a future first round pick which with the knicks this is where things get tricky because last year set us on a weird precedent where now we have to wonder whether or not the knicks are a playoff team now or something you know what i mean versus maybe in the past you would assume that oh a knicks first rounder like that could be kind of high now There's questions as to exactly whether or not this past season was a fluke or if that's something we might need to be on the watch out for moving forward. So first off, I know like money-wise, it's kind of tricky to talk about this because I think at the end of the day to get something big money-wise, you'd have to do it via sign and trade. But with a trade like this, would you be open to basically getting the Dayton kid back and getting a future first for a guy like Colin Sexton? Or do you feel like that's too light of a package pre-signatory.
2: I think that's too light of a package unless we had like a solid, you know, free agent, you know, point guard. And I know, you know, again, talking about positionless basketball, maybe just a shot creating guard, unless you had somebody that you were sure was going to be coming in either in a different trade or in free agency. Um, you know, I guess if if that was going to happen, I would want to go for somebody big time like like Victor Oladipo, mm, okay, or or maybe somebody who's had some improvement also, and was he's that fourth highest free agent right now? Uh, Norman Powell, you know, somebody like that. If that would be, I think those would be two guys who would be realistic to sign, or or maybe you know maybe Mike Conley too. Um, but I think the only the only way I would accept that that trade with the Knicks, and I, I love Obi Toppin, I'm a little biased obviously because I you know I got to you know cover him playing last or two years ago now whenever in 1920 season got to you know interview him and everything but mm. um I mean and again the future first round pick I think I'm not sure if the Knicks are gonna keep on this path of being you know the number four team the number four seed but I think at worst or I, you know I, I guess at, at best for the Knicks and at worst for the Cavs it would be probably a mid first round pick so I don't think that's quite worst, worth Sexton's value but again if you're if you're signing somebody, especially, I mean, Oladipo is still, he's only 29, so he still has solid amount of time left, I would think, and Powell is only 28. So if you were going to sign one of those guys in free agency, then I would be okay with it. But again, you need some sort of backup plan if that's all you're getting for, for Sexton.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's an interesting way to look at it because of the fact that Victor Oladipo and Norman Powell. Wow, that's going to be something that, uh, Ryan, we're going to have to really keep an eye out on when we talk about these free agency classes because as we get further and further along the series, there are going to be certain teams that are going to have a little bit more money to work with in terms of making their team better. Of course, I named the teams that have like max cap space in terms of trying to target like those big name point guards and stuff. But there's going to be teams in mid level areas where, they're going to have some money to throw out there. And those guys, I mean, Victor Oladipo is an interesting one because the question with him is, you know, will we even see him next season due to his injury? Norman Powell is a guy who, I mean, shot-creating guard, put him next to a guy like Darius Garland. If you do create a trade like this one, it's an interesting scenario where you can kind of just let Norman go off. And it's not the craziest thing in the world. We watched Malik Beasley do it for a bad, um, for a bad Minnesota Timberwolves team. and I don't think they're as well constructed as cleveland could be with some of the like building blocks that they have i mean obviously they have carl anthony Towns and anthony edwards but after it gets past that you kind of question what's up with their roster to a certain extent i think cleveland is in a certain situation where you can kind of picture where certain guys would be at um the other one and this is the one that i want to get both of you guys' is take on ryan mainly because we discussed it a little bit yesterday in terms of the clippers is the trade with the Clippers that was pitched is Terrence Mann and Avika Zubach for Colin Sexton and the future first. Now I feel me, I'm going to tell you right now, I feel like personally, this is not a bad trade, but the part that threw me off with the future first, especially if I'm Cleveland, because I kind of want to keep those. We even see in this draft class specifically, there's a handful of Cleveland picks out there in the streets right now that would be very nice for them to have in this year's kind of draft when it's so deep and there's guys that are on this range for big board guys where they're going from, they could be anywhere between 25 and 47. Like it could be like, this guy could land anywhere on the board. So the fact that there's so much versatility throughout this draft class is one where it makes you wish that a team like Cleveland had more draft capital to work with. So to give up a future first as a team, that's kind of playing the long game, like you said, beforehand, seems a little over the top, but then we just saw what Terrence Mann did in the playoffs. And Evica Zubach is like 24 years old, probably can play relatively well as an offensive big next to Jared Allen. So how do you feel about a trade? We'll start with you, Peter. How do you feel about a trade that would involve Colin Sexton to the Clippers for Terrence Mann and Ivica Zubach?
2: I think that one before the first round pick is, is I, I would like that one. Um, but yeah i mean i don't think i don't think this cavs team unless they pull off some really 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 big moves or just have an extreme boom of sudden wins they're not going to be able to suddenly go from where they are now to you know like how the suns did go from you know one of the worst teams in the nba to making the nba finals it just i don't think that's probably going to happen even even as a cavs fan you know that's that's not something that happens very often so that pick's probably going to still be relatively low in the draft next year. Um, So, and, you know, if it's, if it's a 2022 pick, I would say, no, maybe if it's 2023 or 2024, maybe by then the Cavs are more, maybe they're making the playoffs by then. Um, So yeah, if, if they did that, I would want to get, I mean, and this is a very, very specific one. And again, this is kind of a little bit of the, the UD bias shining through, but if you did get rid of Sexton, I would love to see the Cavs do somehow trade for a late second rounder, or maybe even pick him up. You know, I'm not sure exactly where he's going to go, but pick up Jalen Crutcher in the late second round, because that's, I mean, he's from watching him play. He's a shot creating guard. That's his, that's his thing. He's extremely, he's a clutch player. Um, You know, he has, he has a high motor and everything. He's a, he's a great player to watch. And I would, I would love to see him play for the Cavs. So I don't think, well, I think he's worked out for most of the, for a lot of the NBA teams. I'm not sure if the Cavs have been one of them, but, but that would definitely be somebody late second round where you probably wouldn't have to give up too much to trade for that pick this year. And if you're trading away Sexton, then, you know, that would be again, for both of these trades, I would want to see them do the Cavs, do some sort of follow-up. I wouldn't want just that, that, you know, to be the trade and that's it.
1: Yeah. And I like the UD bias, man. Keep it. (laughs) though. At the end of the day, bro, this is is an Ohio squad. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can make that work, that would be tough. And I think Crutcher's interesting. He hasn't worked out for Cleveland, mainly because they only have that one first round pick. So a lot of the teams in that second round area have like a handful. I know New Orleans is one of those that has like a couple down there. Um, so obviously those are the teams that are getting a lot of the work, but you can buy a second round pick nowadays, um, pretty easily. Obviously a lot of these trades could always get a throw in pick. That'll be interesting. Unfortunately, the Clippers are not one of those. I think they only have that one first round pick as well, but they're in a position where if they can make a a valuable trade like request. Um, I think they could make a move. I will name one of them off in in terms of my personal favorite that I thought was uh, personally the Orlando one. It's window Carter in the eighth pick um the main reason why I say that is because it would mainly address what you said beforehand about the follow-up move the idea that you would get a window Carter that could play the four makes it where you don't have to target a big and free agency out of Jared Allen so you could allocate that mid-level exception to like the forward position which I think again I'm not gonna sit here and take shots at Jetty Osman but I do genuinely feel like outside of him and Isaac Accord, do you? Or Coro, you do need a little bit more depth at that spot. So, at the eight with the eighth pick, you can either address the forward position. There's guys you can go high on, like Josh Giddy, uh, Zaire Williams. Uh, there's a handful of guys that I think you can take a swing at. I think at the guard position, there's a, a, I mean, the two Tennessee guys obviously uh, come to mind in terms of that. But you could also just take that pick and address it with whoever the best player available is and take that money and go run at the forward position that way. So I think it addresses that whole, I need a follow-up move directly within the trade. Um, Ryan, before I come to Peter about the Orlando trade, how did you feel about the Clippers trade in terms of uh, in terms of Zubach and Terrence Mann? Um, I know we talked about it a little bit on the Clippers uh, episode, but more so for Peter, like how do you feel about that trade? And then what is your reaction to the Orlando trade? I, I just thought that one was interesting because it addresses a lot of the stuff that Peter one does. Uh, get done in a trade that involves Colin Sexton.
0: I think for the Clippers, it's interesting. I know we talked with Rashad about this yesterday with the Clippers, and I'm not really sure what Colin Sexton's fit would be on the Clippers. I know that they need guards, but he would just be another ISO scorer on a team that's filled with ISO scorers. I mean, Reggie Jackson was an ISO scorer for the team last year, and and he had a pretty good season, but he's going to be a free agent. So, I can see why the fit makes sense to have Colin Sexton on there. But I think what to Rashad's point yesterday, it wouldn't work. I, th- I think he just wouldn't fit on the team. Now, I think when we look at Trey Mann and Ivica Zubak, Trey Mann, I think, is a good trade asset to, for the Cavaliers to get considering that his, his stock massively improved in the playoffs and actually this past season as well considering that he has a lot of upside and that he's also the same age as Colin Sexton. So you're basically getting another young player to help fill out this young core. And then Vika Zubak, I think adds to the depth of the front court, which like I said earlier in the episode, I think that trying to add players to fill out that front court is going to be a big thing for the Cavaliers going forward. So I think getting a player like Avika Zubak, who's 24, another young player, I think that that could be very beneficial. It's just, I think for the Clippers, getting Colin Sexton, I think, wouldn't be the best fit for the team. And then you're also giving up that first round pick like Peter mentioned. And I think that the Cavaliers could really use that first round pick for future drafts, considering there's a lot of talent down the road coming up. In terms of the Orlando one, I do like the Orlando one a lot. I think getting the eighth overall pick plus the third overall pick is beneficial in a draft that's very deep. Especially with the two Tennessee guys that Jalen mentioned in uh Keon Johnson and James Springer, who are both slated to be top ten picks. So I think that could be very interesting. And then Wendell Carter, like I mentioned earlier with the uh front court depth, I think Wendell Carter adds to that. And he's another young center for for the Orlando Magic that was with your Chicago Bulls, Jalen. He has a lot of room to improve. So I think going on a young team like the Cavaliers would be an interesting fit, especially considering they may keep a uh, Jared Allen. So I just think fit is another one with, with Wendell Carter Jr. Because I feel like Wendell Carter can start. But I also feel like it depends on what type of moves the Cavs make. Because like we mentioned earlier, we mentioned John Collins. We mentioned, and, and now we just mentioned, you know, Ivica Zubak and Wendell Carter Jr. So I think it really just depends on what they do with Jared Allen.
1: Fair. Peter, how do you feel about it, man? I think the Orlando trade is an interesting one. Like I said, I mainly brought it up out of the fact that, like, I think it addresses what your main concern in any Colin Sexton trade is, which is what happens after. Like, you kind of need that to be, like, pretty well-defined before you make a move like that. And I completely agree with you. Like, I feel like you can't just make that move without having somebody in mind. Um, You know, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, you don't owe anybody a max extension, so it opens up some money. Uh, but obviously beyond that in terms of production on the floor you want to see somebody come out of it and I think that the eighth pick is again relatively valuable I know this is a top five draft you guys have a number three pick in here but I think that like if you told me you could get Evan Mobley at center or like Jalen Green at the two and then a guy out of Australia and Josh Giddy, who's like a versatile six nine could play the one through the three for your team. That's a pretty dope draft. Like if I, if I do say myself, I'm not really sure uh, exactly what the lineup would look like right now, but I do think that Josh Giddy would be an upgrade as a facilitator and as a potential scorer to Jetty Osman. And if you make Jetty Osman come off the bench as a scorer, I think it simplifies his role a lot more, and it makes it a little bit easier for him to be able to like kind of play within you guys' team. It Makes it where Isaac Okoro was is a guy who can either come off the bench or start as a defensive presence. You guys would be like really rangy with Wendell Carter. So like, how do you feel about like a trade with Orlando, knowing that the eighth pick will be involved? Something that has a little bit more of like forward thinking to it, involved in the trade.
2: I think I like that again, like, like I've mentioned, the follow up thing is, is a big deal. Um, and you know, like you guys have talked about, there's a lot that you could do then with that, with that number eight pick. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that would be a move that I would like. I think it addresses what I was talking about. The one thing is then you wouldn't really be getting a guard then probably because you're probably going Mobley at three unless you traded up to two, like you said, and got, and got Jalen green. Um, So maybe I I would consider snag
1: green at three. You could get away. I mean, with it, I don't mean at eight, I mean, it's a deep draft. So, I mean, you could, like we mentioned beforehand, like Ryan said, the two Tennessee guys, both guards for them, there's a way to get a guard at eight. I just wouldn't be like, if once you get, if you don't take Jalen green at two, that's when like the top tier guard, a guard guys are gone, but you'd still be able to get a pretty decent pick. Now, whether or not as a Cavs fan, you're cool with, a guard at eight that's kind of where i think it comes into question but i i mean i think you could well like, the other thing is, is too
2: feel. the magic have the number five pick so i'm thinking maybe try to try to hassle mm-hmm. them for that five pick And i don't know if that would be <laughs> possible but right. I, I would obviously take their the number five pick over the eight pick that would make that deal as a Cavs fan you know again probably wouldn't happen but i would i would take that over getting a eight pick for sure obviously
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's an interesting way to put it, too, is maybe if you can swindle it by being able to if you because in this trade, it proposes it as Colin Sexton straight up pretty much in terms of Wendell Carter in the eighth pick. It's pretty much just him straight up. But if you can sweeten it up with something else to exchange that pick from eight to five, it could be a position where two top five picks in this draft that's a quick turnaround that's something that could really turn your franchise around pretty quickly because you have two guys that can hit off top you would still have Darius Garland the retaining of Jared Allen would be even easier I feel like in terms of like knowing that the draft defines what your positional needs are so I think that might even be a more interesting thing to explore in terms of maybe going after the fifth pick for um Orlando instead of the eighth pick so I think that's a good call on your end in terms of also pointing out what the heck colin sexton's value is like yeah i know he's due for an extension but you want a shot creator or not is pretty much what you should be saying at any trade table so i think that's i think that's an interesting way to look at it um we're gonna move over to um something a little bit fun a little bit more fun in um the podcast which is the outlandish superstar trade um this is always an interesting one to get um on the back nine of these uh episodes for because I feel like you can really say anybody, especially for Cleveland. I think when you're talking about being able to trade, you guys have plenty of guys where you can make a move. Of course, the disgruntled superstar has a lot more control over where they want to end up. So a guy like Damian Lillard is one that gets kind of tricky. But in terms of like sign and trade guys, I know you mentioned CP3 earlier. I think that one's a little tricky because I know he's probably going to want to contend um, as opposed to like, you know, be somebody who's going to be working on yet another rebuild situation similar similar to what OKC kind of was going through. So what's like an outlandish superstar trade that you would be interested in the Cleveland Cavaliers doing? One that you think is like relatively realistic in terms of the player being on your team, but maybe a little unrealistic in terms of what the the other team might demand to make the trade work.
2: Oh, man, that's that's tough. I mean, cause there's, there's so many names out there. So many superstars that I would love to to see on this team. Um, I mean, I also, what I want to consider when I'm thinking about this too is, you know, maybe guys who have already won a ring mm-hmm. Um, because like you were talking about, you know, that's still one of CP3 goals. Um, I'm sure that's, you know, it's the same for like Mike Conley. I think that one might be more realistic anyways, Um, but you know, he, he'll probably want to go to a contender too. Um I mean, the first name that off the rip that I could think of, actually there's, there's two, they both used to be on the same team. They're the top, top two free agents. And that's this, this is totally outlandish. You wouldn't get both. So I'm just going to keep it realistic and say one or the other Kawhi Leonard or DeMar DeRozan. That would be, you know, potentially a, I mean, they're both free agents. So I don't know if if we're just talking trades or if we're talking free agents yet, but those would be, those would be two that are kind of outlandish Um. So, yeah, but if, if we're talking trades, though.
1: Free agent is fine, too. I mean, either okay. one. Just something that, like, in terms of going after an outlanded superstar, I think that, um you know, because the, the way we preference the rules is obviously not guys that wouldn't legit be on the move. So, like, you've already mentioned, like, getting LeBron back, that's a toughie. Stephen Curry, that's a little bit tough. But, like, Dame, Kyle Lowry, Kawhi Leonard, guys that are, like, on the free agency slash trade block, like, where you could – make a swing at him. I think Kawhi is, like, a tough one, but DeMar DeRozan, he might want another bag day. He, I mean, he might be chasing a chip, but he might just want another very secure contract, and he's a guy who's extremely versatile. So, like, thought the DeMar DeRozan one was interesting. Is anybody in, like, terms of, like, open free agency that you were thinking of? Um,
2: I, I would consider this – I know we said this in the mid-level exception, but I would consider John Collins to be kind of in that range of okay. – probably not realistic but i I think he's somebody who can still really develop too so um you know because he's only 23 he could be somebody that you get you pick up now um Mm. that you're gonna probably get for less money than he's gonna be worth you know after his next contract is done so it's 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 just so tough because there's so many again like for a trade there's so many names out there Mm. um you know one speaking of portland that i would find interesting is cj McCollum. He's from, he's from Northeast Ohio, so that would be one that maybe he would be interested in in coming back to play in Cleveland. Um, so that's – I mean, I always like keeping it – having the guys that have – I mean, maybe it's because of, because of LeBron, but I always like having guys that are maybe from the area, you know, mm-hmm. on the team. Um, but, yeah, that would be one. It, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's tough because, I mean, there's so many names out there, it's hard to, like, kind of knock it down to one. Or a couple of guys that I would want to see see the yeah, Cavs sure. trade for, but sure.
1: I mean, Ryan, uh, how about how about we kind of help him out a little bit in terms of some other guys? He named a few, and I mean, I think I think when this is the interesting thing about this segment is when you go outlandish, your fandom is like ready to name anybody on site that's like this this will make our team better off top but when you really think about the outlandishness of it while mixing in like can we actually make this trade happen that's where the exercise this trade or even just the signing like actually happened it does make the exercise a lot more interesting so like who is like a superstar or two that comes to mind in terms of free agency or through a like a sign and trade scenario that you feel like is outlandish, but still relatively realistic considering the assets Cleveland has.
0: I think it's interesting that we throw out guys like Kawhi Leonard, but we also have, kind of have to take into account that he may not play next season. Same thing with somebody like Victor Oladipo, who also may not play next season. Kyle Lowry doesn't fit the timeline of the team. He is 34, and he probably wants to go a contender. Same thing with Chris Paul i probably say either DeMar DeRozan or Tim Hardaway Jr. And I think Tim Hardaway is an interesting one because of how valuable he was to the Dallas Mavericks in the past couple of years. He's been one of the most consistent three-point shooters. And I know he's 29 years old, but I think that getting a consistent three-point shooter, it's going to be an interesting fit to see him on the Cavaliers considering that, You know, like like I mentioned earlier with the pieces, with the supporting cast around Colin Sexton, I think getting Tim Hardaway as that guy that can be a consistent three-point shooter, I think could be very beneficial to the Cavaliers because with most playoff teams, you can point out a guy who's a consistent three-point shooter. I think what the Cavs could use is a consistent three-point shooter. And I think that's where Tim Hardaway comes in. Now it's just a matter of are you going to be able to sign him? If so, is it through a sign trade? Do you have enough money to give Tim Hardaway Jr. this this year? Because I don't know if he's going for a max contract. I don't know what his what he's looking for. I think he might be looking for a ten to twenty million dollar deal, but I think he's a very valuable asset to have on your team. I think DeMar DeRozan, his versatility will be interesting, but I think it might be the same situation with most of the other free agents. They probably want he probably wants to go to a contender, considering that San Antonio right now is kind of beginning their rebuilding phase. So, getting DeMar DeRozan, I think, would be interesting. I think the more likely of the two would have to be Tim Hardaway Jr., considering he could be very useful to this team in terms of being able to hit three point shots consistently.
1: So I think the two that I'm going to go with, and they're completely narrative based, I won't lie, but I think the first one is definitely Spencer Dinwiddie. I think linking back, uh, linking the Brooklyn bros back together in Cleveland would be really interesting because they had something going in Brooklyn before they kind of, before the Nets decided to go all super team on us. Uh, where those two along with Jared, uh, along with Karis LeVert, were like a really interesting force. Obviously, they had D'Angelo Russell as well. I think that if you have a guy like um, Jared Allen back on this team with a guy um, like Dinwiddie, you mix that with some of the guys that they already have on the squad. Uh, uh, Garland, obviously, at the one-two spot. I think that Dinwiddie provides a lot of versatility, and I think he's coming back. uh with the uh, the mindset of trying to like really prove that he's still like a top commodity. He's out here on Twitter telling everybody he's the top guard in the free agency and everything else. Um, and I think um, he could have been extremely useful in this past Brooklyn Nets uh, playoff run. And I think that if he goes to any other team that's not the Nets, uh, he'll have a chance to not only shine a bit more, but also kind of prove as to why the Nets should have maybe fought harder to retain him um, if they lose out on him. Second one, narrative-based, I got to go with the one that Peter said, the Ohio bro, in uh, in terms of Mike Conley. I think that one's tricky because I feel like he's still chasing the chip. I feel like after you do all that grit and grind stuff over in Memphis, you'd like to kind of really make a run at it. You're When you're running the OKC all the dang time and the San Antonio uh, Spurs, you're just sitting there like, man, we got to really make a run at it. And I think if anybody could if anybody deserves to put themselves in a top-level situation in terms of being considered as an as a legit all-star, I think it should be Mike Conley. It'll be his first chance to get out of the Western Conference, something that I think could be pretty beneficial accolade-wise to his career. I think this is a guy who's missed out on plenty of all-star games just out of the fact that he's in the West. I think moving over to the East will at least open up the competition for him a bit more. It's uh, still kind of difficult because guard play across the entire league is nuts, but I think at least in the East, it'll open up a chance for him to be a legit all-star as opposed to being kind of like a last second edition all-star the way we saw this past season. Um, I think those two guys would be extremely interesting because either way you add a uh, veteran presence, there's certain camaraderie there in terms of like Spencer Dinwiddie with Jared Allen, if you bring that back. I think that also entice Jared to resign, I think would also be like an interesting way of it. And then with Mike Conley, like I said, you guys have had had the hometown kid before I know this isn't on the scale of LeBron James, but I mean, dang, look, Ohio State legend in the flesh and playing on the playing on the uh, Cleveland Cavs court every single night. I think that would be extremely, extremely dope. Um, So, guys, we're going to hop into the rapid fire questions real quick. Peter, I'm going to start with you. Who do you believe is the most underrated player on your team right now between, you know, last season and uh, this past season we just saw?
2: I'm going to go with Darius Garland. It's kind of tough to go with that because he was on the Team USA Select team. So I don't know mm-hmm. if he's really that underrated. But I think Colin Sexton gets all the attention. But I think Darius Garland is a heck of a ball player, too. So
1: For sure. Ryan, who is who do you think outside of Darius Garland is the most underrated player on the Cleveland Cavaliers right now?
0: I probably have to say Isaac Okoro. I think he's shown a lot in year one. and He has a lot of room to grow in year two.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with, um, I think, I don't know how crazy this one is either, but I, I got to go with Larry Nance Jr., man. I brought his name up a lot throughout this podcast, and I think it's just because he's extremely versatile. Dude's crazy bouncy, crazy athletic, definitely a guy who is um, going to be pretty versatile for this team. And if they keep him, I think you add one or two more pieces to this team along with having him next to Jared Allen on the floor, and they could be that top five defense that they were for like the first – 15, 20-plus games of the season. I think that's an interesting thing to keep an eye out on because I think he could anchor uh, a Cleveland Cavs defense pretty well. Uh, Peter, going back to you, who do you think is the most improved player on your team after the season that you just seen?
2: Um, I'm trying to think of what his numbers were like the year before, but I'm thinking maybe Colin Sexton for that. I'd, I'd have to see what his numbers were. You know two years ago, but that's probably he took just, a jump just...
1: four point jump um improved in assist and uh stayed stagnant at rebounds with three point one but improved in scoring and assisting the ball uh turnovers went up a little bit, but I think his overall shot quality improved relatively well, and he shot a little bit better from the field on more attempts, so that's another thing he somehow became a little bit more efficient while getting his usage up a little bit more so it's a good one. A good one. Ryan, uh, how about you, man? Who's somebody that you would feel is like the most improved from last season to this season for the Cleveland Cavs?
0: I'd probably say Darius Garland because of the fact that he's, I, I think Peter said this at the beginning of the episode, Darius Garland was out most of last season due to injury and now he's coming back and he's really been taking over and he's been capable, should I say, of being the starting point guard of this team. So like I said with Isaac Okoro, considering that Garland's coming off of his second year. He just has room to grow.
1: Yeah, I'm going to, as much as I've been talking crazy about him, I'm actually going to go with a guy in Jetty Osman. I know it sounds a little bit crazy because if you look at his statistics, he hasn't necessarily improved, but he didn't drop very much. And he's a guy who I think, I think in the right position, he can be a very interesting player for this team. I think that one of the bigger things, I mean, up until this year, and this, this is more, maybe might be a little bit more of a projection on my end, but he's been a guy who shot around 35 plus percent from three. This was a bit of a low year for him, 30.6% 30, 30. on uh 5.5 5 attempts. I feel like when he's in that more controlled range where he can kind of just be a bucket, like I think he's a lot better of a player. So I think that we saw some things from this, from this season, despite the fact that he wasn't extremely successful this year, that that definitely play out to say that in the right scenario, he could be a really efficient three-point shooter, stretch the floor for this team. So I think this season, the, the improvement is shown through the fact that the year before he showed in a lesser role, what he could be and what he did in a greater role is one of those things that I think just goes to finally kind of like it fine tunes what you define a guy like Jetty Osman as, I think it's one of those things where we've improved our understanding of Jetty Osman as a guy who just needs to be a micro, microwave microwave score. Um, I think that falls more in a category that's more for fans than in terms of him actually getting better, but still um, Peter, the funny, the, the, the fun one what seed do you predict predict your team to finish as next season
2: are we going honestly here are we going hey man you're the
1: Cavs man you can do whatever you want you can say they're in first you can say they're getting the first (laughs) overall pick you can do whatever you want
2: i'm gonna throw it right down the middle i know it's you know it might be a little bit boring i'm gonna go i'm gonna go a nine seed which would be out of the playoffs but why are they doing that again next
1: year I, I think that's something to keep in, in mind. We'll have to kind of keep an eye on that, but that's at least a playing level team from what I've seen. It's reported that Adam Silver wants to keep that going. Um, it did seem relatively successful this year, despite the fact that, um, you know, uh, it did leave some of the teams we would have liked to see out like golden state, for example, out of the playoffs. But I think it's one of those things that made the back end of the season so much more important and it looks like they want to keep it. So at least puts them like in play-in territory. Ryan, how about you?
0: So I think it's a range. I think they can finish anywhere from 11 to 14. I don't think that they're the worst team in the Eastern Conference. I think 11th, it really just depends on what they do in the offseason, depending on if they sign Jared Allen. It depends on if they keep Colin Sexton. It depends on what type of veterans they put on this team to surround Colin Sexton and Darius Garland with. So – I think it's going to be very interesting. I think 14 is their, is their floor. And that just depends on, like I said, if they keep Jared Allen, if they keep Colin Sexton and what type of moves they make, because like I said, this team has a lot of talent and I know they're not the worst team in the Eastern conference. So they just need to build upon the talent that they have and just try to improve the supporting cast.
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I'm going to go uh, with a range too, but not nearly as as vast. I'm going to put them between 10 and 12. And I think it's because if they finished 13 last season, you get a little bit more improvement from the roster. If they keep Colin Sexton, if they can improve some of the things around them with some of the flexibil- flexibility they have, especially, I know, again, the Kevin Love contract is a really tough one to trade, but Lord, if they actually pursue moving it, For just about anything, I think at this point they could probably produce it into a a capable player that also actually wants to be there, which is something Peter touched on earlier about just his overall commitment to the team. You put on top of that that Darius Garland has another year to improve as an NBA player. Isaac Okoro will be in his second year. He's all he's already promising on Twitter that next year is going to be a movie. So I think that's something interesting to keep an eye out on. I think that. It, you know, it's it's weird for Cleveland. It, it's always weird to say there's only a way up when you've seen a team like this be the first first overall pick so many times in recent drafts. But I do think that this is a team that legitimately can improve if they pursue things in a proper way to build their team up, as opposed to just taking a lot of negative contracts and being content with being bad. Um, so I'm gonna put them between like 10 and 12. Um, and then Peter, to close out the pod, we always want to let the super fan get the last word. So um, you get the final words on the Cleveland Cavaliers. It can be about what your expectations for the next season are, uh, how you felt about this season in terms of any, just like final takeaways or just um, anything Cleveland Cavs that you want to throw out there to close out the pot.
2: Yeah. Uh, one thing that came to mind right at the end of the kind of unex- unrealistic trade expectations quickly was uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich when we were, when we were talking about getting a guy who can shoot the three mm. Um so, I don't know. Again, that one's probably a little unrealistic. And then, real quickly, before I do, like, what, what I want to see from the Cavs, what do you guys think about a Kevin Love to Charlotte
1: trade? Who would it be for? Who are you thinking in mind of the required?
2: I I don't really have any players in mind. Maybe for a pick mm. or picks. But I you think... guys earlier mentioned Charlotte maybe needing some forwards. So, yeah. a new place might might give put him back in that place where he was playing like he used to, you know, getting a new uh, – new surroundings.
1: Yeah. I think that's an interesting way to look at it because of the fact that they do have to make a decision on bridges. I mean, that's the first thing that comes up uh, because I have to make, they, they, that's one of their main things they're going to have to address in the off season is bridges. Um, I also think that Charlotte has some interesting, like small forwards that you guys could target. I know the McDaniels kid over there has been playing relatively well, but I think he's a guy that if you can let the reins be even more free for him, he might be able to really pop off into something. So I think that would be really interesting. I know that the main thing, um, and I agree with you on this, would be targeting a pick, obviously. I think if you can target a Charlotte pick um, and moving Kevin Love, that would be interesting. Gordon Hayward and Kevin Love on the same team, a lot of stretching the floor. Uh, The defense gets a little tricky, but I think this is a team that kind of wants to outrun and outscore anybody anyway. You're talking about Charlotte. Um, Ryan, how do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting because I I do agree with you guys that Charlotte does need forward help. They they definitely could improve in their front court as well. I would say try to target a guy like PJ Washington who has who's been improving. But again, I don't know what what Charlotte would do to keep him essentially because I know PJ Washington's an improving player as well, and he's been taking over that starting center role as becoming the small ball center for the team. So. I think maybe targeting him would be interesting. I think Jaden McDaniels would be a solid up-and-coming player to have on the Cavaliers. I would maybe even say get one of the Martin twins, Cody or Caleb Martin. I think that would be interesting in terms of just trying to get a lot of bench production for the Cleveland Cavaliers. But most importantly, if you're trading Kevin Love, I would say include a pick because you want to have something for the future, especially when that prospect that you like comes down the road in one of the drafts. So i think that is really important if you're trading kevin love you get a pick
2: all right Th- first of all thank you guys both so much for having me on this uh it's been it's been fun talking talking about the Cavs, even though it's been a little bit of some lean years recently but to hopefully get out of those lean years i'm thinking you know some priorities and even maybe expectations would be hopefully to take a page out of what the indians haven't done the baseball team and sign your star player to an extension you know you saw Lindor go to the Mets, which I absolutely hate to see. And it doesn't look like there's any chance that they're going to re-sign uh, Jose Ramirez when his contract is up. So, you know, take a take a lesson from them and re-sign your star player. That's the first thing. So re-sign or uh, sign Colin Sexton to an extension and then re-sign Jared Allen. And then after that, you know, use some of those those mid-level players that we were talking about at both guard and at forward or center position to kind of solidify the uh, the play around Sexton and Garland and Okoro and uh, and Jared Allen, Larry Nance. Get some guys to surround around, around those guys, because all those guys are pretty young. Even Nance is still pretty young, too. So sign some kind of, I would say, mid-level in both, both in age and experience and, like, the contract. Um, you can kind of just get some more depth around those guys. And then and then just, you know, tr- I would say go with Mobley at the number three pick. Those are things I'm hoping for. Um, at the beginning of the season I know we didn't talk about this much but I think coaching is extremely important um, at the beginning of the season I liked or when, when he first took over I loved what uh, Bickerstaff was doing it's a little bit sour how the team finished the season but I still think he's the right guy at the position for now I think he seems to be helping the young guys really improve and grow um, so yeah those are those are my hopes and expectations for for the team moving forward to the soft season.
1: Yeah, before we let you go, uh, is there anything that you want to plug in terms of, you know, just what you're writing about? Um, you know, I know about Impact Sports Media, if you want to kind of, you know, plug that a little bit as well. Anything that you want to uh, let the listeners be able to go check out? Yeah, um,
2: Impact Sports Media, I've kind of, I haven't really written anything for that in a while. I've kind of taken a, a seat on that because I've been busy. I was so busy with Fire News during the season, during like, like the, during the school year. Um, so, yeah, my flyer news stuff is is up. Uh, you know, it's summer. Nobody's on campus, so it's a little bit slow right now. Um, but this weekend, it'll ramp up because I'm going to be covering the basketball tournament in person at the Columbus Regional, which is going to be a lot of fun. Hoping, hoping the Red Scare team can do well and hopefully be in the, uh, in the quarterfinals because it'll be at UD Arena and there'll be fans in attendance. So I'm hoping they can win three. I think they just need to win three games in Columbus and they'll be there um so yeah it's just simple the good thing is it's really simple flyernews.com is where you can where you can find that and all my all my social media is uh twitter and instagram is just peter Burtnet. so that's it's easy there you know nothing nothing difficult to remember but um other than that yeah i'm i'm looking forward to having a busy semester it'll be my last semester at ud so i'll be trying to get you know as you know as they say when you're, you're making orange juice trying to get as much as much juice out of the orange as I can squeeze as much out as I can uh in this last semester but yeah I mean thank you so much for having me on this podcast uh and yeah just you know my stuff's available flyernews.com um and yeah my socials as I said earlier at, at Peter Burtnet. but again thank you guys so much for having me on this today it was it was a lot of fun
1: Yes, sir. No problem. Of course. And we I mean, we love we love just chopping up basketball. We love having new people on the pod as well. So it's one of those things that, you know, we try to get you on even more often. That's one of the biggest things that we want to create long term uh, people that can come on the show the same way as you've been a long term listener. It's been one of those things that's been extremely appreciated. You've been really active on social media in terms of our posts and stuff, too. So, you know, we keep an eye out for your work on that. And, so, um, guys, definitely check out the links in the description down below. We'll have a, a, a few of Peter's more recent articles linked to the bottom as well as as um, as well as his social media and ours. Uh, Ryan, uh, get us up out of here, my guy.
0: Well, we want to thank our guest, Peter Burtnett, for joining us today. And, of course, his links will be in the description below. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, what do you believe is the most important thing the Cavaliers need to do this offseason this has been a great episode today on the hoop talk podcast of course make sure when you subscribe to us on apple you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast we will see you guys next episode
2: peace